Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Welcome back. I hope everyone has had a lovely week. It is starting to have the just the beginnings of early spring here in Georgia, which <laughs> I am not always the biggest fan of leaving winter behind, but I have enjoyed seeing the daffodils bloom and pointing out the other flowering trees to my little girl. So I hope wherever you are, you are enjoying this season, and I'm excited to dig into the book today that I've chosen for the podcast. Last time I talked about The Devil's Advocate, which was one of my favorite books that I read in 2022, and today I'm going to talk about the other book that I read last year that was one of my favorites of the year, and it is Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy by Rumor Godden. Now, I mentioned this in my fall reading recap episode, and as promised, here is a full episode about it. Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy is the story of Lise Fanshawe, a former prostitute, madam, and murderer who enters the religious life of the Sisters of Bethany after her release from prison. The novel chronicles Lisa's life as a young ingenue and then her descent into the depths of darkness and sin, but also the salvation and redemption of her life. It is another one of Rumor Godden's convent novels. I've mentioned before that she did Black Narcissus before her conversion and In This House of Breed and then Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. And I believe those are the only ones of her convent novels. I could be wrong. I have not read all of her works. I am slowly amassing a small collection of her novels because I am such a fan. I want to talk briefly about how I came to read this book before I go on a little further. I always like to give that little introduction of how a book came into my life because I love to hear how people come across books and, and what it is about the book that stands out to them that makes them want to read it. I first heard about it in a podcast episode that was talking about In This House of Breed. And after I read In This House of Breed, I have, of course, shared how much I love that book. I was on the hunt to find a copy of Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. And I found a copy in a thrift store, but it sat on my bookshelf for years. That is a, a sad habit that I have that I am trying to break, that I'm not always quick to read the books that I start collecting. But it's one of those stories of this was the right book at the right time. It sat on my bookshelf. I didn't read it until this past fall when I read it for my church's book club. And it was one of those things we were texting back and forth with some of the other ladies in the book club, and we were trying to decide what would be our first book. And one of my friends threw out this book. She said that her sister had read it and had recommended it. So we read it as part of the book club. I loved it. It was one of those like devil's advocate where I want to put everything else aside because initially I was not intending to have it as part of the podcast. I was just reading it for a book club and I was trying to get it read pretty quickly, but I also had other books I needed to read for the podcast and it became such a favorite. And it's one of those books that haunts me. And that's when I know I really want to put it on the podcast because it's a book that I think about, that I want to talk to other people about, and I just want to share with everyone. And this is one of those books. 
So in the book, I've mentioned that the main character, Lise, enters a convent and that it is called the Sisters of Bethany. Now, the Sisters of Bethany are based off a real order of nuns. And I will murder the French, even though I took French in school. So I will tell you the English translation of it. It is the Dominican Third Order of the Congregation of St. Mary Magdalene. And it was started by Joseph Lataste in the 1860s. So I want to give a little bit of a history of this order. So the story goes that in 1864, and this is from the order's website, that Lataste was sent to preach a retreat to the inmates of the Cadillac prison, where he discovered in them the marvelous effects of grace, and in some cases, a real call to give themselves to God in a consecrated life. It was in this prison before the Eucharist that he received the inspiration to found a new religious family, where all the sisters, whatever their past, would be united in the same love and the same consecration. And that is a quote directly from the website. I want to share another quick quote from Joseph Lataste, and it is about this order and speaking of and to these women. Whatever your past, no longer consider yourselves as prisoners, but as souls dedicated to God, you too following religious souls. So it's just this beautiful work that was founded by this priest in the 1860s. I'm going to read a section from Rumor Godden's memoir, A House with Four Rooms, where she's talking about doing her research for Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy, the inspiration behind it. And she talks a little bit about first hearing about the order. So I'll share about that. And then I want to read a section from the book that gives a fictionalized account of Father Lataste starting the order. So this is from Rumor Godden's memoir. She says, After In This House of Breed, publishers as well as readers had been insistent that I should write a successor. How can I? Had been my answer. I haven't a story. Then I was told about an unusual order of nuns, so unusual that many people still do not believe they exist, the Sisters of Bethany in France. At least half their communities, or maybe more than half, are ex-criminals. Some may even have committed murder ex-prostitutes, alcoholics, drug addicts, and the like, while the other sisters have been called in the acceptable way. As all are anonymous, having names like Sister Marie de la Croix, nobody knows which are which, except the Prior General and her council. In all the time I spent with them, I never knew or even guessed who had been in the first category. I wanted to read that quote and share about it before I go and share from the actual book, because I love this idea of the anonymity of these women. They come into this order and they don't come in with their past. They are truly relieved of the burden that they had carried in the world, and they are free to worship God without the stigma that has followed them. I wish I had time and copyright allowed me to read this beautiful section that fictionalizes the founding of this order, but in order to not (laughs) infringe on any copyrights and not to take up too much of your time, I will just read a very brief moment. So in this section, there is a young priest who is convalescing and he has come to the convent and he is talking to another one of the priests and the priest is giving him the history of the Sisters of Bethany. And the priest, Louis, says to the other priest, Mark, he talked to them of Mary Magdalene. Isn't she the most intimate, tender, and surprising person of all in the gospel stories? Asked Father Louis. Père Lataste reminded those poor women of how, when Jesus was invited to the feast of Simon, 
the rich Pharisee. She made her way to kneel at his feet. And then it goes on to recount the story of Jesus at the Feast of Simon, where Jesus says to the Pharisee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. So picking back up, Father Louis says, And Père Lataste saw those handkerchiefed heads bowed while he spoke. Many, trying to strangle sobs, began to lift, said Louis. He wrote they were like flowers after a storm when the sun touches them. Love, forgiveness. We know they were words they had not heard for a long time, perhaps had never heard. So then it goes on to recount the founding of this order, and it's beautiful. And I want you to read it so you can experience those moments of how this order is founded. So that is a bit of the history. Now I'm going to go into the characters in the story. So the first is Lise, which I mentioned in the brief summary at the beginning. She is the main character. Her name is Elizabeth Fanshawe, and she is a British expat in France. She was raised by her aunt in England, who was a staunch Protestant. Lise is well-educated and fluent in French, and this is why she has ended up there. She is a driver during World War II. That's when we pick up with her story. It's VE Day. It's the very end of the war in Europe, and she's on assignment. It's parties everywhere, and she's told she can go for the night. And that is when she meets a man named Patrice. And Patrice quickly seduces Lise. And just in a horrible and tragic turn of events, he cons her into a life of prostitution. It's one of those things you're reading it and you're like, how could anyone fall into this? And how could anyone fall for the tricks of this man? But rumor garden does show just the steps that someone who is luring women into this life, what they do, they seduce them, they create this bond with them, and then slowly get them to enter into this life. And with her background, of course, it seems like she would never end up in this place. And yet she does. And an interesting thing about Lise is that young women are naturally drawn to her. And she alternately uses this gift nefariously and for good. She goes from very innocent, doe-eyed girl who has never been with a man to a hardened madam to a convicted killer to a redeemed sister of Bethany. She is a fascinating character. I loved her character. The main character from In This House of Breed, still one of my favorites, but I really love Lise. She's imperfect and flawed, but she has this beautiful story of salvation. And when I talk a little bit more at the end of the episode, I want to dig into just this one part of the story that really left a mark on me and really has to do with her story of salvation. Next, we have Vivi. Vivi is a young girl on the street who Lise takes under her wings. She's one of those young girls that Lise is able to draw to herself. And Lise first spots Vivi in a drunken stupor clutching a rosary. And Vivi is a teenager at this time. She's, I, I don't even know if she's 15 or 16. She's very, very young. And because of the rosary, Lise is under the false impression that Vivi has an underlying goodness to her soul. And I will give a full disclaimer, Vivi is a difficult character. She is manipulative, she's scheming, she's narcissistic, and at times she's just pure evil. The way that she uses other characters is deplorable. She has the appearance of innocence and goodness, though. So within all of this, she is also deeply traumatized from horrible 
childhood abuse. She has all of these things warring within herself. So she has the trauma from childhood. And then she also has just this manipulative and maniacal side to her. And then she has this just appearance of goodness. So she's complex and she's very complicated. And she's just not one of my favorite characters. Yet Lise loves her and thinks she sees goodness in her and, and wants to take her under her wing and wants to take care of her and wants to give her a better life than a life on the street. But enter Patrice. Again, he becomes completely enamored with Vivi and either she seduces him or he seduces her. It is not very clear because Vivi is very beautiful and she is able to seduce men very, very easily. But he is definitely involved in the seduction, but she is also using him. It's very unfortunate. So she becomes one of the prostitutes in Patrice's brothel and she slowly starts to take over Lisa's place especially with Patrice. And, you know, Lise is in love with Patrice, even though he has treated her the way that he has. He is incredibly abusive, but she loves him. And so she's being slowly displaced by Vivi and put into the place of just madam of this house. So Patrice, I have mentioned him. I'm going to give him a little bit more time. Patrice is the owner of the brothel where Lise works. He is... (laughs) so vile. And yet he doesn't have the appearance of it. It's very much like Vivi. He is so charming and he preys on innocence. And one of the horrible things about him, the thing that I hate the most is how much he delights in corrupting these women. He seduces Lise. He corrupts her. He abuses her. He abuses the other prostitutes. And then he forces Lise to follow in his footsteps. And he just delights in it. Like I said, he depends on Lise. He is captivated by Vivi and he falls hard for her seduction. And in spite of the fact that she is a teenager, when she comes into the brothel, he has her to begin working for him and takes her place as his mistress. It's difficult to read these moments in the story, but bear with it because there is beautiful redemption coming. And this is one of those moments where there are very hard things in this book, but they do serve a purpose. It is important to show the stories of these women and where they have come from so that we can see the redemption that God has for their lives and how he doesn't cast anyone away. So bear that in mind, as I said, it is one of those books that is worth reading, even with the hard stuff. The last character I want to introduce is Lucette. She is a young woman from prison. She's released the same day as Lise. She follows Lise to the Sisters of Bethany, and she's devoted to Lise. And she decides to enter the religious life because of her. But later, she has a deep and lasting conversion. So she enters it because she's just following Lise, but it it takes hold of her. The gospel has a root in her life. She becomes an indispensable part of the convent and plays a very important part in the climax of the book. Okay, I'm going to get into the heart of the novel, but before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about the structure of it. If you're not familiar with Rumor Godden's novels, if you haven't read one before, she has a very unique way of writing. In both In This House of Breed and Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy, she moves seamlessly through time. She sometimes moves forward and sometimes moves back in the character's life, so it's not linear. She peppers her novels with little vignettes that seem to distract from the plot. They seem to not have anything to do with what's going on, but there are moments which delve into the characters of the novel, and it gives an added layer and richness to the story. And in Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy... She switches between Lisa's story and Vivi's, and I believe Vivi's is always in italics, and I believe it's always in the first person, and Lisa's is not. So that's just something to keep in mind as you set out to read this novel. 
So now I'm going to get into a little bit of the heart of the novel. Where in this house of Breed concentrated more on the inner workings of a convent, Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy focuses on the life of one woman in particular, even though it was one character in, in this house of Breed. A lot of the nuns, their stories were explored and fleshed out. This one, it is mostly we have the spotlight on Lise. So a lot of the book has to do with good and evil, uh, temptation and the nature of evil, but also good overcoming that and how God is always going to be triumphant and he is always going to overcome the evil. It may win for a time, but not forever. So I have mentioned the evil of Patrice and I've mentioned the evil of Vivi and the evil that is done to Vivi. But I want to read this quote. It's a chilling quote from Rumor Godden's memoir. And it's when she's talking about doing the research for Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. She also uses it in the actual book. So Rumor Godden says of researching it, researching Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy, I had to explore prisons, in particular the Maison Centrale in France, to which only women serving life or long sentences are sent. I came to know and value its balanced and compassionate governor, Jacqueline Mercier. I don't know if I believe in God, she told me, but I do believe in the devil. I have met him. That is a description of these women that are in these prisons and where they're coming from. And it's, it is also quoted in the book. And it's a very chilling moment. I don't do it justice, but it's from this woman who has no faith, no background in faith. And she's saying that she is confronted with evil daily. So she sees the degradation of humanity within these prison walls. And yet, this is the same prison in the novel that these sisters go to. And instead of seeing the degradation and the hopelessness and only the evil in them, these women minister to them and see the free gift that God has given them through his son, Jesus Christ, and the redemption and the wholeness that can come to their lives. And I can't remember if it is in, in the book. It's talking about how the women go to minister to these women in prison. They just go and they let them talk. They're not there to try to force conversion. They are truly there to minister to these women's souls, to offer them hope. But it is up to the women to decide. And they go in and they love the women and they give them dignity. So like us, all of these characters have a need for salvation. They have this need for redemption in their lives. And one of those characters is Vivi. And what's interesting is this is also shown, like even before the prison, where the women who are in Patrice's house, that Lise observes that they would often have a rosary. They would often go to light candles at different cathedrals. And Lise observes that the prostitutes she saw were more reverent than many people in the world. And this just seems counterintuitive, of course. How can those who are steeped in this lifestyle be reverent? It seems to go against everything for living a virtuous life. And my first reaction was, you know, they can only be reverent after repentance. But I love how Rumor Godden shows that these women know who they are. They know what they have done. And they know who God is. And even though they're not at the place yet where they are allowing him to renew their life and be brought into wholeness, they are still aware of his greatness and his holiness. And there's that hope, there's that seed planted that they will be brought out of the darkness into the light. And there's a moment in the book where Lise is trying to escape Patrice and she goes to the church for help. 
And ultimately, she goes back to Patrice. But and that's just in the beginning. But it's that small encounter that leaves a mark on her. And it comes into fruition when she is in prison and the sisters of Bethany minister to her. And it's just beautiful to see that, that beginning, that little seed planted and how it grows throughout the novel. It is beautifully done. So Lisa's opposite, Vivi, is also offered the same salvation throughout the novel. And Lise, as I've mentioned, she always has this hope. She wants to see the good in Vivi. And we keep thinking, okay, Vivi, have redemption, have redemption, have redemption. But Vivi continues on her course and she's just sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's this interesting quote at the end. It's after an incident with Vivi. Lise has been released from prison. She's now a sister in the order and she's going back to the prison and there she sees Vivi. And there's an incident and the matron of the prison asks Lise why Vivi hates her so much. And Lise responds with this, which she finally comes around and is seeing Vivi for who she is. She says, I think what I did or tried to do should have been the other way around. The opposite of all they tell you about dealing with delinquents. And I suppose Vivi was delinquent. That you should always show them you believe in them and that, given a chance, they have a better side. I think the rosary she loved misled me. I believed Vivi was good under it all. Touchingly good. And she wasn't good. So, of course, she couldn't be. If I had accepted her just as she was. And I love this because that least regrets seeing her as she was. She doesn't have to have good in her in order to be saved. She was someone abused and mistreated and she needed salvation regardless And I think it struck me because it's this whole idea of God seeing into our hearts and knowing who we are, and yet he still loves us. And I think that that is what Lise came to that realization that she was just hoping for Vivi because she thought Vivi was good. And when she could finally see that Vivi's true nature, this true love is born for her without any sort of attachment to it, that she has this just desire for this young girl to be rescued from this murk and mire that she is enmeshed in. But what happens with Vivi, I cannot say it is an interesting thing. I'm not going to say too much, but it's not exactly closed and neat and tidy at the end. It is left open and we don't know what is going to become of her. I want to wrap things up with the thing that captured me the most about the book, and that is this idea of trusting God and not being afraid. Trusting God is this theme that's just woven throughout the book, especially in Lisa's life. But at the end, there is this climactic moment, and this is where we see the way that God has worked in Lisa's life and the fruit of his spirit in her life and the maturity that she has reached and her knowing that she is loved by God and her love of him. So in this moment, Lisa is at adoration, and she is in this moment of worship and religious ecstasy. And she just suddenly feels the presence of evil. And when I read that, being a person who deals with fear, and especially just this hatred of evil and this fear of evil, I kind of shrunk back. My reaction would not have been the reaction that Lise has. Because rather than fearing the evil, she keeps her eyes on 
on Jesus. It's Catholic, so within the, I believe it's the monstrous, I'm so sorry, I'm not Catholic, so I don't know all the proper terms, but she is keeping her her eyes on the host and she remains in peace. So around her is evil. She feels its presence. And yet she is in peace in that moment because she keeps her eyes on Jesus. And that just impacted me so much. It is a moment in the book that ministered to me because what comes next is hard. It's a difficult moment. And yet there is such beauty in it. And Lise was safe throughout this storm. And it was that moment, one of the many moments, but it's that moment in particular that has stayed with me after finishing the book and just thinking, what is that like? And how can I attune my heart to God and in the midst of horrible evil, to not fear, but to keep my eyes on him. It is something I aspire to and something I am praying about. And I'm so thankful to have had that example in this book. Finally, I want to close with a poem. Because while reading this book, I kept thinking of the George Herbert poem, Love 3. We are reading George Herbert's poems in one of my book clubs. So this poem was fresh on my mind while I was reading Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. And the poem is about the hospitality of Jesus and his sacrifice and redemption for us. And I just related it so much to the story of Lise and these sisters of Bethany and the women that they minister to, because in their darkest moments, God brings the light of his love to them. And if you read the book, I'd like to invite you to read the poem alongside it as a companion read. But I will do my best to read it now for you. And please excuse <laughs> any, any fumbling on my part. It is a beautiful poem, so don't let my reading distract you from it. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin, but quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I. Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame. My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. I love that poem. I love this book. And I hope that you will be reading both and pondering the depths that both have to offer us. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a book suggestion, if you just want to have a little bookish conversation, you can email me at bethatawellreadlife.com. I also have a website that's still in the works. You can also find me there. It's awellreadlife.com. And I'm also on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Enjoy your week and cozying up with a good book and a cup of warm tea. Until next time.